passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me is my colleague, Peter Flaherty. Uh, Millie is with us. She's asleep. She's had a weird week, to be honest. So, you know, we'll see. We'll see about Millie. Also, kind of a weird week was uh, college baseball last week. The weather played a, uh, a, a starring role in the week, as did the Easter holiday over the weekend. Uh, a lot of series were moved up Thursday to Saturday because of Easter. And then you mixed in some really bad weather, especially in the South, and you got a, a whole jumbled chaos of a of a weekend where a lot of series were done on Friday and they had the whole weekend off. Don't see that too often in college baseball. And then you also had uh, on Sunday some teams playing double headers and and some teams just wrapping up series traditionally. It's, it was uh, it was disjointed, uh, but we are we we had some. Intriguing results around the country, uh, and we had uh, some actual discussion about the top of the the rankings. Really, for the first time this season since the preseason, uh, in the the Baseball America Top Twenty Five, because LSU and South Carolina split their series, they did not play a third game, so they they split the two games they played in Columbia. Ultimately, we left LSU alone at number one, but uh, you know. Peter, at this time of the season, uh, here we are. It's April twelfth as we record this. Selection Monday's less than two months away. We're we're really at the midpoint of of the whole thing. You know, I I feel like there are four teams at least that have a case to be made to be the number one team in the country. And if you wanted to throw, so those four would be LSU, Wake Forest, Florida and uh vanderbilt and if you wanted to throw south carolina into it i i would listen to to that argument as well and it's uh you know we don't have a team that's like fully taken the bull by the horns yet this year we have a bunch of really good teams and lsu the team that everyone was thinking was going to be the super team and and run away with it has been really good but you know you look up and they're seven and four in the SEC. They've played the toughest schedule, but that's the sixth best record in the SEC. You know, Vanderbilt's sitting there at eleven and one. Um, you know, and, and and Florida's been really good, and South Carolina's been really good, and then Wake Forest is rolling through the ACC. We we have an exciting group of teams at the top of the sport. 
Yeah, no, you said it perfectly. I mean, there are five teams, I think, that all have a legitimate case to be number one, and three of them are in the Southeastern Conference, um, which just speaks to that level, or actually four of them are, um, which speaks to the level of talent in the SEC. But you look around at Wake that's emerged as a team that can go toe-to-toe with anyone. Florida, obviously, was a team that we really discussed this week as being number one. And then what you brought to my attention, if we were looking at resumes alone, Vanderbilt probably has the best of anyone in the country. 11-1 in the SEC, 27-6 and overall. They haven't lost a series yet in the SEC. They have have a series win over UCLA under their belt, which is a little less impressive than it was when they first took the series. But nonetheless, that's a good UCLA team. And so there are each team in the in the five that you mentioned, LSU, Wake, Florida, Vanderbilt, and South Carolina, they all have a seat at the table and I think a legitimate argument to be made as to why they're the number one team in the country. So I think with that being said, it's going to make for a really exciting and intriguing last month and a half of the regular season before we get into the sprint that is conference tournament season and regionals and, and before we know it, we're, we're crowning a national champion. So stuff's going to get really fast. Each game, each series just means that much more, which makes this whole thing that much more fun to follow as just, again, everything means more as is the sec tagline, but there are exciting series this weekend and on the horizon. And and it's going to be a, an exciting time in college baseball. Well, let's uh, let's start this thing back in Columbia, South Carolina, where now it feels like a year ago that they, they started that series. South Carolina started the, the series against LSU uh, with, with a, you know, just a kind of a complete performance. They went out, they won 13 to five. Um, it was just Mark Kingston after the game said it was kind of just like an encapsulation of what every, or of what South Carolina baseball is all about this year. That's a paraphrase. They, they became, Ethan Petrie became the first player to Homer off of Paul Skeens this season. Uh, you know, they got a lead on Skeens. Then some rain came. Skeens and Will Sanders got knocked out of the game by the rain delay. That was probably the worst thing that happened, um, you know, for the fans. You know, we, we got an hour of, of Skeens versus Sanders. We got they got three innings in before the rain came, and you know, who knows how the game changes if if the rain delay doesn't happen? Does Skeens settle into the game? Does LSU start getting to Sanders? Cause it kind of seemed like he was starting to falter a little bit and he certainly hasn't been as good as Skeens all season, but the rain delay happened. The starters exit South Carolina keeps hitting. They go on and they win the game. Then they play on Friday and South Carolina gets up early again. And they just kind of controlled the game for about seven innings. They're up seven to three going into the eighth. And then all of a sudden LSU loads the bases and Gavin Dugas comes up and, Comes through with another clutch hit. This time it was a grand slam to tie the game in the ninth inning. Dylan Cruz gets on, gets over, gets brought in by Cade Beloso. Gavin Gidry shuts the door. And all of a sudden LSU, which had, you know, like not looked like all that great for the first two thirds of that game, uh, you know, suddenly has has a split and they became the first team this season uh, to beat South Carolina at Founders Park. So then the rain washes out the rest of the the, the finale. Um, and ultimately, the biggest losers of the weekend, I think, were the fans. Again, they 
we didn't get to see a full Skeens versus Sanders. Those are supposed to be two first round picks going at it. We didn't get to see a full full game of that. We didn't get to see a third game. But if you're South Carolina, you come away feeling pretty good. You know, you uh, you can look at it like a you uh, you played well uh, for most of the weekend. You come away with a win, and um, you know I, th- there were a lot of positive things about matching up as well as they did against the number one team in the country. If you're LSU, you know you are the first team to win a game on you know at South Carolina this year. That's notable, and you know I also thought it was notable that they showed some fight. Uh, you know, they, they'd gotten down on the in the second game there and they they were actually able to claw back into the game. That's not something this LSU team has had to do a whole lot of this year. They have a few comeback wins, uh, but not really any. This was as close as they'd cut it. They hadn't won a game in the ninth inning before Friday. This And they don't have a walk off win this season. This was as close as it comes to that. So I do think there's some positives to be taken from having to play that tight of a game having to to fight back on the road and, and come away with a win like that. Like you said, I think this was the series this weekend that that left me wanting so much more between the Skeens and Sanders. What looked like a pitcher's duel, Sanders looked to have had his good stuff. His slider was really working for him. Skeens is Skeens. And then between the and then the weather washing out the rest of the weekend, it was a little bit of a bummer in that sense because you don't really know what would have happened in that Thursday game had Skeens stayed in the game, but the way that South Carolina was playing, I mean, they came out swinging, literally. Ethan Petrie got it going with a with his two-run tank off of Skeens. But we talked on the podcast last week about what is South Carolina. And they had amassed a really good record. I think it was 26-3 and three at the time of our podcast. They didn't have any bad blemishes. But the one knock on them was the lack of, I guess, competition that they had faced to that point. Um, they had SEC series wins over Missouri and Mississippi State and Georgia, which are all impressive. Any SEC series win is an impressive one. But we were, I think, at least myself, we were looking at this week at, against LSU as a barometer of, okay, is this team a national championship type of team? Are they more of a pesky team in the tournament that could get to a Super Regional or Omaha? Or are they really just the benefactors of what, was kind of a soft schedule and they are not nearly in the same stratosphere as the team is loaded as LSU. And what I came away with, even though it was two games, the weather was brutal. So you couldn't get the full taste of them against Skeens. I came away as looking at South Carolina as a legitimate, not only Omaha team, but they're on my short list now of potential national championship teams. And I think that's a lineup that can hit with anyone, obviously with, Wimmer, Cassis, Petri, and Messina up at the top. They have a good supporting cast. And then their pitchers, they've got great depth on the mound. That rotation of Sanders, Mahoney, and Hall is really good. We didn't see we didn't see Hall this weekend, but um Sanders and Mahoney were each they each threw well. Um Chris Veach out of the bullpen has been outstanding. He's got a great changeup. And then the two freshmen and Eli Jones and Jersenbeck give them really good supporting pieces. So I I was very impressed with South Carolina. I wasn't necessarily underwhelmed with LSU, but I think that it's a little bit like that scene in Rocky Four when Rocky cuts Drago. Like, like South Carolina cut Drago this weekend. Like LSU is human. They have holes. They have vulnerabilities like anyone else. So 
I don't think any less highly of LSU, but I do think that South Carolina is for real and they're going to be in the mix right up until Omaha and, and potentially dogpiling at the end of this thing. I, I think that, you know, one of the concerns for LSU moving forward is that they are starting to get very banged up in the bullpen. Chase Shores uh, and Nate Ackenhausen uh, were injured going into South Carolina. Garrett Edwards w- got injured um, during the series. So, you know, we're going to have to see. We, we There's been no clear updates about any of those guys. Um, I think Ackenhausen is the least concerned. Like that, as I recall, that's a lower body injury. We don't know as much about the freshman. So, getting any of those guys back would be big. And then this also is coming on the heels of Thatcher Hurd, who had, you know, a very dismal start against Tennessee was pulled from the rotation for South Carolina. Now we didn't see the third, the third game, obviously. So Christian little was supposed to make that start. Didn't he's in the rotation again this weekend listed as the third starter. So LSU's kind of rejiggering some things on the fly out of necessity in their in their pitching staff. Um, so what does that look like going forward? They don't need their pitching staff to be world beating with their offense, but they do need, you know, a competent pitching staff if they're going to to meet their their top line goals. So that's something to watch going forward for LSU. And that was a big negative uh, coming out of the weekend. I also think, though, that. You know, LSU has played like like they have had just a really, really tough gauntlet here. Going to South Carolina is not easy. I'm not looking to make excuses for them for not looking great at the start of that weekend. Uh, But I I do think that's a a real thing that they were on the road against a really good team. And that's a credit to South Carolina as much as it is anything else. Uh, Also, kind of weirdly, this was the third straight year that South Carolina had hosted the number one team in the country. It was Arkansas in 2021. That did not go well for South Carolina. A year ago, it was Texas, and they were the first team to get to Texas. They beat the the Longhorns uh, and ended their their reign as uh, as number one coming out of the preseason. And then this year, it's LSU. So it just kind of a uh, kind of an interesting thing. Uh, really, something that 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 means a whole lot of nothing, I guess. But a lot of those guys in the South Carolina dugout are not going to be phased by anything because they've been a part of series like this before. And going forward, uh, you know, playing LSU as tough as they did, like, I, I think that can only help them. You know, they, they might look back with some regret about losing that game on Friday, but as long as they can wipe that from their memories, they'll, they'll be they'll be all the better for, for having done what they did last weekend. Yeah. And experience is key and having to, and and being in those situations where it's like, okay, we can outplay and out hit the number one team, arguably number one offense in the country, our pitchers, we have the stuff to boot, to shut a lineup like that down, you know, whatever situation they find themselves in going forward, they're not going to be like, okay, what do we do here? You know, can we do this? Can we pull this off? They're going to have that confidence and swagger to know that they're going to be able to win any ball game they're in, whether that's a pitcher's duel or getting into a slugfest, they have the personnel to to be able to hang in either of those. And I guess this could be a good segue into their series with Vanderbilt this weekend. 
Um, and also they have, they have a, another showdown with Florida the following weekend, but they take on Vanderbilt and what's going to be another really good series. I think this weekend. Yeah. That's uh, one of the premier series this weekend is a, uh, is a top five showdown in Nashville. Vanderbilt is, uh, is hosting South Carolina. You've got Vanderbilt leading the East, leading the whole SEC. They're 11 and one. Now that sounds impressive and it is impressive, but it is notable that at least three of the teams they beat are not teams that I would project into the field of 64 at this time. And the fourth team being Missouri is a team that is like right there on the bubble. Um, we know what Missouri is capable of. They swept Tennessee. They they have shown well at times this season. Uh, they're also pretty banged up themselves on the mound. And, you know, so we'll see. The point of all of that is to say that Vanderbilt has this incredible record, but they have not played any of the, the premier teams in the SEC yet. That changes this weekend. Uh, and it's going to be an interesting, you know, matchup because you've got, Vanderbilt with their incredible pitching staff. You've got South Carolina, which absolutely mashes home runs. I think it's notable that this series is in Nashville and not in Columbia for a variety of reasons. One is that South Carolina, again, has only lost one time at home this year. The other is that that park is a park, you know, South Carolina is built for their park to a certain extent. So I, I getting this in, uh, in Nashville is, is certainly an advantage to Vanderbilt, but how much of an advantage do they need the advantage? I, you know, who knows, but um, it is, uh, it is the, the premier series of the weekend. And, and the first time that I shouldn't say the first time we get a series like this, the sec has provided some real blockbusters already, but this one on paper, if you just look at the numbers next to the teams, like this is absolutely one of the best ones uh, we, we've seen this season. Yeah, and I mean, like you said, weekend and weekend, or I guess weekend and weekend, I don't know how to word it, weekend and week out, the SEC is going to give give us really good series, whether it's next week with Florida and South Carolina or Vanderbilt, South Carolina this week, there's going to be a series or two or three that's going to be viewed as a blockbuster. Um, and this one is no different. I'm excited to see, obviously, Vanderbilt's pitching staff against an offense like South Carolina's. I don't think they've seen it anything close to it this year. So how their rotation goes about attacking that with Hunter Owen and Devin Futrell. And then we don't necessarily know who their third starter is going to be. If it's going to be Carter Holton, um, whether or not he's healthy enough to pitch again, or if it's going to be someone like Bryce Cunningham. So a little bit of an unknown there for the Commodores going into this weekend, Carter Holton, I think is for my money's worth their best arm, even though Hunter Owen and Devin Futrell have, very good cases to to be viewed as the same but it's it's strength versus strength and i think being away from founders park the hitter friendly environment of founders park is a little bit of a disadvantage for the gamecocks i don't think that it's a a reason why they're not going to win the series though i mean their offense is not built on being the beneficiaries of a of a hitter friendly park i mean they they mash up and down and we mentioned their names and and, and all of that. So I, I think that it'll obviously be a really well-played series. Vanderbilt's also the knock on them was at the, at the start of the year was their offense and the lack of production that they were getting in their offense. They didn't, I think they only scored five runs across three games against Loyola Marymount or something like that. Um, 
And, and since then they have, they've flipped a switch. So it's not Vanderbilt's offense. Isn't its strength. It's it's pitching. Um, but their offense is darn good too, with guys like Chris Maldonado and RJ Shrek. So a very, a very good series on tap. And, and I think that I, I would be shocked if it doesn't come down to that Sunday third game. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, we'll, we'll have to see what comes out when uh, these teams release rotation projected rotations. Noah Hall is not going to pitch this weekend for South Carolina. Uh, a little unsure how long he's going to be. Uh, he's going to be out for Holton was described as day to day earlier this week by Tim Corbin. So we'll see if that gets him back in time to pitch this weekend or not. But uh, no matter how these, these pitching staffs are plenty deep, no matter whether Holton goes or not, you're going to see a lot of really good arms this weekend. So certainly an exciting uh, series there at Hawkins field. Uh, The other big series this weekend in the SEC is uh, LSU hosting Kentucky. Now, Kentucky last weekend took its first series loss of the year. They dropped it at Georgia. They had won game one. Uh, The next two games turned out to be, uh, you know, they they, they turned them into a doubleheader that they got caught up in that rain. So you're going to look at Kentucky Going into this this one in uh, in Baton Rouge, coming off of a couple losses, but you know they're they're still a really good team. They're going to test any team in the SEC is going to be tested by Kentucky in a kind of a unique way. They play a lot more small ball than anyone else in the SEC. Uh, LSU is already getting ready to defend bunts uh, and, and everything, and. Uh, you know, they're going to test Tommy White over there at third base. You know, we've seen some teams try it. Kentucky's really going to try it, I'm sure. And they're going to run and they're going to do all sorts of different things. And it'll be interesting to see how LSU handles that. It's just a different style. It's just a different style that, that you're going to be looking at. So when, when you look at LSU and, and Kentucky this weekend, it, it, it makes for a really exciting matchup just because of the differences uh, in the way that these two teams play. Yeah, and, and going back to last weekend with the series that Kentucky lost, I they had obviously they won that opening game on Friday. Saturday was a washout. And then on Sunday, I was just sitting at my, my family's Easter gathering, obviously following these games, and I look up at about 6 o'clock and was like, oh, wow, Kentucky lost again. I was like, wait, Kentucky lost that series. So it was kind of a credit to Georgia. That's a, that's a good series win for the Bulldogs. They needed that badly. Um and that's not to say that losing a series doesn't mean anything for Kentucky, but I really wouldn't put a whole lot of stock into it. It's it was a weird weekend. It was a weird series loss. Liam Sullivan pitched exceptionally, and and that rotation of Georgia lefties was tough on on the Kentucky lineup. But I'm very curious to see how this more I guess scrappy slash and dash type of team attacks LSU. Like you said, they're going to test Tommy White over there. They're going to force their defense to make plays, and they're going to try and, and really push the pace on LSU, speed the game up, get them to play their type of game. And it's a problem-causing style of play, and we've seen it through however many games it's been, 32 for Kentucky. We've seen it in all 32 that they're going to run, they're going to slash and dash, and they have the personnel to do it on offense. Emilian Petre, most notably, has has been outstanding for them, as has um, Hunter Gilliam. So... 
and they and, and again with Kentucky, we in years past they've gotten off to these good starts and then they've they've faded. This year is entirely different. They have an outstanding pitching staff as well. So it is a it's an interesting matchup in in that it's going to be a style that LSU hasn't seen quite yet and it's a style that gets executed really well. So another very intriguing series in Baton Rouge. Yeah, that uh <laughs> there's just a, a a line of those. Uh, the schedule does lighten a bit for LSU. Again, it's, it's only so light in the SEC, but it, it, it does lighten a little bit coming out of this weekend. But this is, uh, this is an important one for Kentucky. Kentucky is still sitting at number one in RPI as, as we record this. And, you know, they're going to have, you know, once you get that high and you play in the SEC, you're not going to fall far. You know, they, they have to keep winning series if they're trying to host, if they're trying to be a top eight seed. They, they can't keep taking on series losses and their schedule gets harder from here. You know, uh, right now they have LSU. They still have to play Vanderbilt. They still have to play Florida. They're at Tennessee. They still have South Carolina. Like the the one team in their final six series that, you know, looks like on paper, you would say, well, Kentucky's favored to win that series is home against A&M. They've banked a lot of SEC wins. They need to have. Uh, I, I don't worry about them getting in the NCAA tournament, but it, it, when it comes time to project hosts, to project top eight seeds, they're going to need to find a way to beat some of these premier teams and prove that they belong there. Otherwise, they're just going to take on too many losses uh, when it comes time to line these hosts, potential hosts up. So uh, just something to consider coming off of last weekend. You know, I, I'm, I'm not sounding any sort of an alarm on Kentucky here. I'm just in a realistic way moving forward, if you're, if you're thinking about can Kentucky host, the answer is firmly yes, but they do need to, the the second half is going to be a challenge for them and they're going to need to keep playing well down the stretch. And just looking at that schedule consecutively, obviously they've got LSU this weekend. I guess you can call it. I don't even, you really can't, you can't call it a break with Texas A&M, but then, Starting April 25th and going down the line, they've got a midweek against Louisville, and then in consecutive series, they've got Vanderbilt, South Carolina, Tennessee, and Florida. So that's about as tough of a last month of the season as you'll find anywhere in the country. So it's just it'll be it's a victim of being in the SEC, and for them to host, like you said, they're probably going to have to win, find series wins, and probably two of those. So. Um, challenging times ahead for the Wildcats, but it's a talented club and I'm excited to see them perform under those high stakes. Before we get out of the SEC uh, this weekend, notably we have some big rivalry series. You've got Ole Miss and Mississippi State and Starkville. I'm told that like they're expecting a mass, like insane crowd on Saturday is the way I would describe it right now. We'll, we'll see how many they announce, but it's going to be a huge number. It sounds like on Saturday, uh, Auburn is playing Alabama. That one has massive NCAA tournament implications. Uh, those two teams look like they're going to be messing around around the bubble, uh, much of the second half. And whoever walks away with that series win this weekend is going to get two really critical sec wins. Uh, you got Georgia and Florida, um, that one's a little bit more of a mismatch than the uh, the last two we talked about. But like we we just said, Georgia coming off of a big series win against Kentucky. Uh, are they able to take that momentum into Gainesville? And then Tennessee and Arkansas isn't a tra- is not a traditional rivalry, 
but I'm very certain both fan bases are going to be up for this. Um, Tony Vitello, of course, a former Arkansas assistant, and he and his former boss, Dave Van Horn, have had words uh, in recent years. Now, I believe that they're good right now, uh, but that doesn't mean that the fan bases are. I I think that that'll be uh, a very fun atmosphere at at Baum Walker this weekend. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I saw a picture today on Twitter of uh, Coach Vitello and Coach Van Horn going at it, and it got me even more amped up. But Obviously, you look at you look up and down the slate this weekend with the the ranked matchups with South Carolina and Vandy, Kentucky, LSU, Tennessee, Arkansas. The series that that probably piques my interest the most might be Auburn, Alabama, with of course the rivalry, and then the winner of this series. In in my opinion, I think is going to be on the right side of the bubble or right there on the bubble, and then the loser of the series is going to have some serious work to do in the last month and a half. So I think that's the most interesting one as far as a as far as a regional implication goes. And then Ole Miss is Mississippi State. It's it's always one of the more fun rivalries in college baseball, even though each are really going through it. Um, there's still some talent on both sides, so another fun weekend in the sec, which is always the case. So I'm, I'm excited to tune in. Yeah. I, this week, uh, in the projected field of 64, I had Bama in Auburn out. And really that just came down to Bama hosts the series this weekend. Like if it had been at Auburn, I probably would have flipped it, but Bama has to take care of that home field advantage. They didn't do it last week against Mississippi state. And they're now like, they may very well really regret missing out on at least one of those wins last weekend. Mississippi State hadn't won a series before uh, last weekend. They got it done. Credit to the Bulldogs. Uh, but when you're fighting for the bubble, like, and you're the Tide, you, you got to win your home series. And that they got to do it this weekend uh, against Auburn. So that one's... That one is is a series to circle. It, it doesn't have numbers next to the names, but it's... Uh, that one, that one has a, a whole lot of postseason implications. Um, it's April twelfth. We're already talking about it, but it, it, it's absolutely true. Uh, all right, so we got we got more ground to cover. We, we've got the the ACC to get to. We got we got some other stuff around the country to get to. But a big ACC top ten series uh, this weekend in Louisville as Wake Forest is headed there. Uh, we're going to get get into that and more in a minute. But first, check this out. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't a search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. That's why I use Indeed for our hiring at Baseball America. It allows me to do everything On one website, I get quality candidates. I can schedule them. I can interview them. I can screen them. I can send messages to them all within Indeed. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Baseball America. Just go to Indeed.com slash Baseball America right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Baseball America. 
Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, so last weekend in the ACC, the big series was Boston College going into Louisville. We said here on the podcast that BC did not need the series as much as Louisville. It was a little bit of a role reversal. Well, the Cardinals got what they needed. They got a sweep, in fact. Um, They defended Jim Patterson Stadium to the surprise of exactly no one. Uh, They haven't lost a series at home since 2021. Uh, they they just don't lose at home very often, and BC was not able to get it done. Uh, so Louisville, with that sweep, moves ahead of BC in the standings. BC is now 8-7 and seven in the ACC. Not that much of a concern, but it's not, not a concern. Basically, everything I said about Kentucky is true of BC, uh, minus the fact that their final month is not the brutal close that, that it is for Kentucky. But you got to get the ACC wins. Their RPI is 11. It's going to stay up there, but they got to get enough ACC wins uh, to be able to host. So that's something to watch. They got a rebound from this, but more to the point, Louisville got a very needed series win. They had lost back-to-back weekends on the road. Uh, they, They come home, they get right. And now they, they have Wake Forest coming in, but, but last weekend, they, they really went at it on the mound. Uh, they got two really great starts to bookend the weekend. Uh, the one in the middle wasn't quite as good, but their bullpen was really sound all weekend long. And, you know, Louisville can swing the bat, but it, when they're pitching like that, that's really when they're at their best. Yeah, and that this the Saturday win was most impressive because, or I think it was Friday. It, it was it, Friday, the middle win. Yeah, the, the middle win was most impressive because, BC had their ace, Chris Flynn, going on the mound, and he's been outstanding all year. And you get out to a quick 8-0 lead in the second, and you're like, okay, here's BC again. Drop the first game of the series, they're going to respond and somehow win another ACC series. And you you look up, and it's and it's 8-8 eight to eight heading into the fourth. And like you said, Louisville's a team that their pitching makes it go. Sure, they have good offense. They've got guys like Christian Napchak, Jack Payton and Eddie King, who have led the charge for him so far. But it's really been their pitching. And that one-two punch of Ryan Hawks and Carson Liggett was on full display this weekend. Liggett especially, seven shutout. But Hawks setting the tone on Thursday with eight innings, allowing just one run. The final score ended up being 6-4. to four. BC made it a little interesting in the ninth. But Louisville was in control from the first pitch. And 
that was the Louisville this weekend that I was I was kind of waiting to see all year. And they put it all together on both sides of the baseball. They got production up and down the lineup. They got timely hitting. Eddie King in particular came through with a bunch of clutch hits. And they looked they looked really good and they they looked like clearly the better team in my mind. And they it, it, there's really not a better time to be hitting their stride than now when they've they've got Wake Forest uh, Duke, Miami, they've, they go into the home stretch and for another team that's, that's looking to host and potentially even sneak their way into a potential top eight national seed, that home sweep over a, what was then a top 10 team really goes a long way in, in so many facets. Yeah, absolutely. And they've, uh, they've got a big one coming up this, this weekend, um, in Wake Forest, Wake Forest is leading the division. They're leading the ACC. They're twenty nine and four overall. Uh, they last weekend swept a doubleheader against NC State. They some of these series were over on Friday. Wake and NC State didn't play until Sunday. It was that kind of weekend in the Southeast. They they got the sweep of the doubleheader though, and you know they're they're rolling right now. Uh, they beat App State in the midweek carry some momentum into this weekend. This is a tough one though for them. You know, like I said, Louisville just doesn't lose at home. You know, we'll we'll start there again. It's been since 2021 and if you remember 2021 was like they lost the last series of 2021 and that's kind of what knocked them out of the NCAA tournament ultimately, but like that that was not the best Louisville team. They missed the NCAA tournament. And um you know, so now Wake Forest has to go into that environment they have played fine on the road to this point. Wake Forest has their nine and three, but like at Duke and at this Clemson team are not the same thing as going to at Louisville. Uh, so it's a challenge. It's certainly a challenge that Wake Forest is up to. I expect this to be a pretty well-pitched series, um, but you know, the ball sometimes flies at Jim Patterson. So we'll, we'll see what this weekend brings. But I, I personally like, yeah, South Carolina Vanderbilt is great. Uh, I'm probably most excited for this one because I want to see what Wake is able to do in this environment because it's it's a it's just a really tough place to go and win, uh, and that's what Wake Forest is going to be trying to do and, and prove that they are as good as we think they are. Uh, you know, with uh, a, a series that would really kind of lock in them as division winners already. I, mathematically, it doesn't quite work out that way. But it would base the division race would basically be over if Wake Forest goes on the road and wins this weekend. Yeah, and, and this is their toughest series to date. They've they've obviously amassed a, an impressive record to this point. They have quality series wins, but nothing would compare to a series win at Jim Patterson Stadium, which, like you said, Louisville just there's no other way to say it other than they just don't lose there. They always find ways to win. They they have that Patterson magic going for them, but. It, it's going to be a very well-pitched series between Louder, Sullivan, and Hartle on Wake, and then the uh, the aforementioned Hawks and Liggett on Louisville. And then each of their bullpens have also have also been great, Wakes especially. So the, the Demon Deacons are one of the most, if not the most complete team in the country, top to bottom. They Their lineup, one through nine, they give you no breaks. Pierce Bennett is a guy that I have personally become – pretty enamored with in the last week to 10 days, just because 
you talk about Nick Kurtz, Brock Wilkin, Tommy Hawk, that's their big three. And all three should be pretty good selections in this year's draft or Kurtz next year, but Wilkin will go on day one this year. Hawk probably in the top five rounds this year, but Pierce Bennett has been an unsung hero. And he was someone that in talking with coach Walter before the season, he was, he gave me a heads up and, and, and everyone else to, to keep an eye on Pierce Bennett as a guy that seemingly comes out of nowhere as one of the key producers for the Deeks. And he did that, especially this weekend against NC state, they picked up that modified sweep. I guess you could call it with the double header sweep, thus ending the series in two games. But Wake only had seven RBIs. They scored 12 runs, but they only had seven true RBIs. And Pierce Bennett had four of them. He had a few doubles. Every time they needed a clutch hit, whether it was to add insurance or to claw back against a deficit, he was the guy that delivered. And those are the types of players you need on national championship teams. It's not going to be on the backs of two or three guys. Sure, you can last that way for a certain period of time, but you're not going to sustain a run through a regional, a super regional, and then to a national title on, on two to three guys. It just doesn't happen. And then Adam Cessary is another one, 356, nine jacks. He's really come on for the Deeks as of late. And the pitching is is just, is, it's otherworldly. I'd say it's the best rotation in the country with Louder, Sullivan, and Hartle. So a really good series on hand. I think it's really difficult not to give the edge to Wake, but again, the Jim Patterson aspect is such a unique one where it's it's as close to a toss-up as it as it can be. Louisville's obviously playing really good baseball, and and again, they've got that home field advantage. So really looking forward to this one. And 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 I think again it comes down to that Sunday rubber match. The other big series last weekend saw Virginia hosting Miami. We talked about how this was an opportunity for Miami to, you know, prove themselves against elite competition and Virginia was coming off of a series loss at Virginia Tech. Well, UVA went out and swept the series. Uh, they really were in control all weekend long. Um, they uh, they won the first game four to two. The second game was a tight, tighter one. Uh, they won it six to five, and then they cleaned it up uh, six to three on Sunday in a game they were really in control of all all game long. Uh, UVA. With that, kind of rubber stamps themselves as the other best team in the ACC. They're, they are on top of the Coastal. UVA has already now beaten North Carolina and Miami, the top two teams in the division. Uh, they still have to play Louisville in a, in a crossover, but UVA certainly seems like the class of the Coastal. Uh, we don't get to see them play Wake Forest this year, unfortunately. Maybe the ACC tournament can provide for that, but... That was a tough one for Miami. There's there's no way uh, around that one uh, it, for, for, for the Canes. They've played some high-end competition this year. They've played Virginia. They've played Florida. They've played Wake Forest, and they just have not been able to win those games. They now are this weekend at UNC, and uh, it's another really tough series, uh, another chance for the Canes to prove themselves. But at this point, I do kind of feel like we understand where the cane ceiling is and coming into last weekend as i'm sure you were as well i was very excited about the idea of of a potential miami series win because i was i was just starting to get really excited and and bought into the canes but 
a sweep at, at the hands of UVA. They they do have that nice sweep against Florida State, which sweeping a rival, even as bad as Florida State is this year, it's it's never easy. But now you're looking at a sweep at Wake Forest, a sweep against UVA. I think you said it best, where the writing is kind of on the wall for this Miami team that they they likely get into the NCAA tournament. Um, they could pose some problems for a team in a regional. But I, I think that their ceiling is a super regional at best. I don't know if they quite have the pitching depth that people may have thought they had. Of course, Andrew Walters at the back end is is lights out, but you have to get him the ball, and they just have not been able to get him the ball consistently with with good starting pitching and 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 a solid bullpen supporting cast. So Gage Zeal, while he has been better as of late, he sputtered this past weekend. And again, UVA is is a is as good an offense as you'll be able to find around the country with Jake Geloff, Kyle Teal, Griff O'Farrell, Ethan Anderson. The list goes on, and Ethan O'Donnell, of course. Um, so a, a tall task for Zeal, but I, I think that the Canes are who they are, which is a good, not great team, and it's going to be tough for them to get past a kind of a regional or, or more importantly, a super regional setting. And it's going to be a tough one at Chapel Hill. UNC is playing good baseball. So another tough one on tap for the Canes. And right now they're 20 and 12, eight and seven in the conference. They, it's not a must win series, but I think it's a series. And I know it's a series that they would really, really want to have before they get Georgia tech at home, but then they go to Louisville and the, the schedule isn't as, as, as gaudy down the line, but this would be a really nice series for the Canes to win just to right the ship and not to go into kind of a, a spiral in the last month and a half or so. Yeah, I mean, the thing about Miami is they're 2-9 and nine away from home. One of those wins is at Florida. That's really nice. The other win is at FIU. FIU's 14-19 and 19 this year, so, you know, whatever. Uh, but that's a, like, that's kind of a problem, you know, because right now... There's nothing that suggests Miami is going to host a regional. Uh, it's not over for them. Like if they went on a tear, their RPI is 16. Their strength of schedule is five. Like the metrics are there for them, but they actually have to like play up to that down the stretch. And, you know, again, I, to this point, we haven't seen any signs that they're going to do that. Like so they have the same ACC record as BC, but I just view them very differently because BC has been on the road. They've won some big series Miami just has not been able to compete on the road. So this weekend would at least kind of flip that narrative, like show, say like we actually can win on the road if they were able to, to go into Boschmer and do something, you know, and that would kind of open the possibility that maybe they could host. And for this team, that seems like a critical thing because again, two and nine on the road, it's not good. And right now, you know, like you're probably getting sent to Gainesville. It's not, it's not the place you want to get sent. So, uh, an important weekend for uh, for Miami, also for for UNC, which has been you know solid, not special to this point in in the ACC. They they lost that series to Virginia. They've won a lot of series they should win. Uh, they you know don't have any bad losses here. They've gone on the road the last couple of weeks. One at Notre Dame, one at Georgia Tech. Those aren't necessarily easy places to go out and get wins. Uh, now they have a couple of really tough home 
home weekends with Miami and BC. Uh, if you, you win those games, you know, maybe you're in the hosting conversation now. The, the metrics are not, they don't love UNC as much, but you know, you, you pile up some wins the next two weekends. Maybe they, maybe they start showing you in a more favorable light. So uh, kind of a, a big swing weekend for, for both of these, uh, both of these programs. No one needs it to get into the tournament. It's, it's not that kind of weekend, but they, uh, somebody's season is, could change. You, you, you can change the momentum of your season this weekend in Chapel Hill. Yeah. And I'd say, especially for UNC, where I think that they're in a better standing, obviously than Miami is, if they can rack up a series win against Miami, they played UVA tough, which obviously a close series win doesn't mean anything, but just from a sheer eye test standpoint, they get that series win against Miami. If they can beat BC again, it's, it's a consecutive series wins against Miami and BC puts you in a really good standing and probably cement yourself, probably cement themselves as hosts until they, unless they would play themselves out of it. So um, I, I think it's, it could, it could be a potentially big couple of weeks for UNC. All right, let's go out West uh, in the PAC 12. The, the big series last weekend was Oregon and Oregon state, Oregon state got a, much needed series win going on the road to a uh, short road trip. They went on the road to Eugene and uh, come away with a series win. And they do so after losing the the Friday opener, they got shut out two to nothing. They bounced back uh, and they, uh, they really held down the Oregon offense all weekend. You know, they only lost two to nothing and uh, Oregon scored two runs in each of the games throughout the weekend. And, it was not enough uh, against Oregon State. Uh, the Beavers were working on a no-hitter in the finale until the eighth inning in uh, a comprehensive 12-2 to win that, that clinched the series. Like I said, the Beavers needed that one. They, uh, they've now put together three straight series wins after losing their first two Pac-12 series. So important for the Beavers, especially the fact that the last two weekends have been on the road. Uh, and that rolls them into this weekend against USC, which is, uh, you know, uh, uh, obviously USC, we've talked about them. They're sitting there at the top of the Pac-12 standings. That that weekend is much bigger now than you anticipated it to be uh, when the schedule came out. But uh, I Oregon State can't say enough about their pitching staff, the way they handled last weekend. Their bullpen was incredible. Uh, I think they didn't allow, the bullpen did not allow a run until the eighth inning. Uh, of the finale at which point that game had been decided basically so it great job by the beavers pitching staff against a pretty solid oregon offense and uh you know that 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 is really what led them to the series win in eugene yeah and, and we were talking about this past weekend as a big series for different reasons for oregon and oregon state oregon if they had won probably jostles themselves into that hosting conversation Oregon state really needed this one for their regional hopes and as kind of a momentum builder into the home stretch of the year. And the, the pitching staff, like you said, was magnificent. Absolutely lights out Ryan Brown, Trent sellers, the entire bullpen Trent sellers, obviously with a great start, but the Ryan Brown and the entire bullpen was, was outstanding. And they've, they can pitch with, with anyone, I think, or at least the, they, they, they're, their bullpen and rotation can go up against any lineup in the country. And they, they beat Gonzaga last night. They kind of really took it to them. They won 15 to one. Um, and then they, they, they go into this weekend against USC, which is the top team in the pack 12 
winners of their last three or four games overall. They've won three straight series in the Pac-12. They are playing the baseball that we were expecting them to play from from the jump, and USC is playing as good as anyone. They've they're coming off a series sweep against San Diego State, who they're struggling, but then they also have a nice midweek win over Cal State Fullerton last night, which was a really, really close game. But you were on to USC early. You were kind of sounding the alarms on them when they were sitting around 500, but they hadn't really lost a game by by too much, and they were playing with these good teams. They were playing with Auburn and, and these other quality clubs. And so they're clearly for real. They The Pac-12 is as close to, I think, some of the most polished baseball and most high-quality baseball in the country. It's a very clean game. They It's it's just that typical West Coast style, and, and they're ahead of schedule with Coach Stankiewicz, and so I'm excited about, obviously now, but I can only imagine the heights to which Coach Stankiewicz will take this program. And true freshman Austin Overn, or excuse me, redshirt freshman Austin Overn, I think he is, um, He's been unbelievable for them. He's already set a program record with 10 triples, and he did so a few games ago. And he's hitting 353. Veteran outfielder Cole Gabrielson's been great. Their pitching staff has been sound. So they're a team that I think in regional play, they are going to pose a lot of trouble for, for opposing teams. And I think that their upside in a tournament setting, I think it's rather high. I, uh, I definitely agree. I mean, I, I like them. Um, it's going to be diff- different for them in a regional, assuming they get there, they'll probably get there. Just like nobody on that roster has experience. <laughs> so, you know, what they're probably going to go on the road, what they did early on kind of doomed them to that. Their RPI is 68, which like isn't even good enough right now, but they have time to, as they win Pac-12 games, that number will come up, but like they're not going to host. They're going to get sent somewhere. They're going to get sent somewhere east so that's how this works. Uh, so it's just going to be a totally different environment for them. And where they get sent is probably going to matter an awful lot uh, about how far they can go. But for this to be year one, I mean, it's it's remarkable. Um, and we'll see where they go. But I the the second half, I, I don't want to discredit USC in any way. Like, I, like you said, like I was on them early. I was excited when they beat Stanford. Like, they clearly have a lot going on. And the fact that they have a series win against Stanford, the best team in the Pac-12, means that they can play with anyone in the conference. But starting this week, it's at Oregon State, rivalry series against UCLA, at UW, Oregon, Arizona State. Those are the next five weekends. So it's not an easy stretch. They got to be ready for it. Their conference record, yes, it does include that series win against Stanford, but it also does reflect them playing some of the worst teams in the conference. So things are going to get tougher. That starts this weekend and they have a tough test, you know, trying to match up against Oregon state's arms in Corvallis. So they'll be ready to go. But I think this weekend a little under the radar because USC's only ranked in the twenties and Oregon state has a losing record in the PAC 12 right now. There's seven and eight. Uh, But that's a series to watch if you're, uh, if you're looking out West this weekend. Yeah, and, and these Pac-12 series often get undersold, at least, just because of so many people on the East Coast aren't simply just aren't going to stay awake for them. But it's it's a really, really good conference, especially this year. The conference race is super intriguing with some names that 
we might not used to be seeing up there in the last few years. Arizona State's up there, ten and two. USC, obviously, Oregon is still in the mix, and then a team like Washington has put together a solid year. There really isn't a, there really aren't a lot of weak links in in the Pac-12. And then Arizona State heads to Washington, and in what's going to be an intriguing series. Arizona State coming off of a big series win against. Um, uh, excuse me, big, big midweek win over Grand Canyon where they scored nine runs last night in the eighth inning. And they get a huge boost back to their lineup with Nick McLean, who missed some time with an injury, but he had performed well in the fall and he's now back and he's swinging it well already. He went three for six last night with a home run. So um, yeah, they're a team that I'm really excited about. And then the conference as a whole, it's it's going to come down to to the final weekend as it as it seemingly always does. Could be a bit of a wild weekend uh, in the Pac-12. You got Stanford at Oregon. You got Arizona State at Washington. You got USC at Oregon State. So those are, you know, the three teams that are tightly bunched at the top of the standings, all going on the road this weekend with tricky series. Um, so if if something is going to go haywire, like this weekend might be the weekend that that you see a little bit of. Uh, of a surprise there, there's certainly opportunities here for Oregon, Washington and Oregon state, all of which need the need series wins like this for various reasons. Uh, they've, they've all got an opportunity this weekend. Uh, so watch the pack 12. Um, not easy to do necessarily, but this is a weekend to, to maybe like make the effort to, to go to pack 12 plus and, uh, and stream some of these games. Uh, let's go to the Big 12 now. Um, Big 12, as confusing as ever. Uh, like that's, uh, that's what I got on the Big 12. <laughs> so Oklahoma State last weekend played at TCU, having just won a, a big series against Texas. They go on the road to Fort Worth and lose the series because that's how the Big 12 works this year. Uh, West Virginia, having just entered the top 25, gets upset at home by Kansas because, again, that's how the Big 12 works this year. Uh, so we're back to uh, a very jumbled mess. Texas is in first place in this conference, despite the fact that they just lost a series to Oklahoma State. Peter, I but before I just go off further about how this is just a jumbled mess, let, let's let's focus let's focus me in on on what went right for TCU because that was a huge series win for them. They've been up and down. Uh, throughout the season, they were coming off of a series loss at Texas Tech. That was a, a very tough weekend in Lubbock. They lose the opener to Oklahoma State. Things could have gone sideways on them. They didn't. They they get back. They win on Friday. They really hammer Oklahoma State uh, in the eighth inning uh, on Saturday in the finale. They scored seven runs to uh, to break the game open and make it look look real look much worse than that game was. That was a really tight game, but they just found a way in Fort Worth to, uh, to get a really important series win. Yeah. And and it was a huge series win, obviously in the big 12 standings. And then again, for a team like TCU, anyone in these power five conferences that find themselves ranked, they're going to be fighting for a potential hosting bid. So it goes a long way for that as well. But after they get punched in the mouth on Thursday night, I was really impressed on Friday and Saturday. Of course they had that big inning on Saturday with the seven run eighth inning that propelled them to a win, but they wouldn't have gotten to that position of course on Saturday, but even on Friday without unbelievable starting pitching from Cole Klecker, who's been really great when called upon as, as a true freshman in their rotation, which is never easy. 
he stepped up for them time and time again. And he's a pitch to contact type of guy. He has two breaking balls that that profile as potential plus pitches, I think, down the road. And he's got a great mound presence. It's very clear that he's not intimidated by the bright lights. He's not scared of a lineup like Oklahoma State that has so many great bats. He is always in attack mode, blinders on. And he's a guy that you're comfortable giving the ball to even though he's younger. So he comes out and sets the tone for them. They get timely hitting on offense. Anthony Silva was outstanding, and he is. we've been talking about him now for a few weeks, and getting him back has been just a, a boost beyond measure for TCU, and he homered twice in that Friday game. He plays good defense over at shore. He's really comfortable moving laterally and vertically. Made a really nice play coming in on a ground ball um, hit by Marcus Brown and then made a throw from an uncomfortable angle to get him. So... Cole Klecker set the tone with seven innings pitched and winning a game like that where they could have rolled over and and lost the series then and there established some big time momentum heading into that rubber match where they fell behind early. Oklahoma State was they they really utilized the long ball this past weekend. Tyler Wolfert hit three in as many games, which was a rather unlikely candidate for someone who was going to to do something like that, I would have probably thought it would have been Rock Riggio or Nolan Schubart or even David Mendham. But we're looking at a 5-5 game in the eighth, and it doesn't get there without six combined no-hit innings in relief from grad transfer Sam Stoutenborough, who came over from Cal, and Garrett Wright, who's been solid out of the TCU bullpen this year. And then in the eighth, they just exploded. They... Oklahoma State didn't play the cleanest baseball. It was a wild pitch, a walk, but then Elijah Nunez lines a single. It, it skirts by Zach Earhart in center field, and they took advantage of those mistakes. They didn't. They didn't let their foot off the gas, and and Trey Richardson laced the the final nail in the coffin for into the gap, which was a two run double, and that put them up eleven to five before Braden Taylor really punctuated it with with a double of his own to make it twelve to five. So. I think TCU utilized some, obviously they, they t- they pounced on every single Oklahoma state mistake. It felt whether that was a poor pitch or bad defense, they, they were all over it. If they were given a free base, that runner was going to come in and score. So I was impressed with how TCU responded. And this looks to be an exciting club as we head into April and May, they play a lot older than they actually are. They're there are a bunch of freshmen both on the pitching staff who have played key roles. And then obviously in the lineup with Anthony Silva being one of their headliners at this point, along with Braden Taylor. So they play wise beyond their years. They rise to the occasion and it's going to be they're Arguably they're the team I'm most excited about in a big 12 conference where quite frankly, I don't want to say it's hard to get excited about a team, but to really hitch your wagon to, they might be my best bet as someone who can, who can come as maybe a potential two seed surprise to make it to Omaha. This weekend, they're out of conference. They're playing UNC Wilmington, which is really solid team. Um, Cannot be taken lightly. If TCU takes them lightly, they probably will lose the series this weekend. So they, they actually, they have to come with it this weekend. And then they go to West Virginia, which is never easy. Although, as we're about to talk about, West Virginia just lost a home weekend uh, to Kansas. And then they have Texas still. So, uh, a lot to play for for TCU. It's been up and down. If they can just find some momentum, and maybe last weekend is the start of something, particularly 
you know, if they're able to take down UNCW, like take some momentum into, into Morgantown and then, you know, come back home to play Texas. Like they have a chance to build some momentum in the second half, but I really want to see them do it. Cause I've talked plenty of times before the season about how I thought TCU was going to be able to take off and they haven't. So uh, this weekend looms large for, uh, for that. And I, I think we've bounced around just, just thinking back as to the, I guess, parody in the big 12 conference. I think that we have between the two of us, we've touched on four of these teams as the team to beat after certain <laughs> weekends with Texas, TCU, Oklahoma state, and, even Texas Tech. So yeah, who knows the direction in which it's going to head, but it's it's sure to be pretty pretty wonky. Uh, before we move on, Oklahoma State's lost four of their last five, including three straight because they lost to Oral Roberts. Good Oral Roberts team, but still Oral Roberts. Uh, on Tuesday, it is Tuesday. How much that matters, you know, who knows. But are you in any way concerned about Oklahoma State yet? Uh or, or, you know, they, they have West Virginia at home this weekend. It's a big weekend. Both of those teams coming off of series losses, they would have very much rather avoided. Um, big spot for the Pokes this weekend back back in Stillwater. I'm definitely concerned about them from a ceiling standpoint. I don't know if this is quite a College World Series type team. I don't even think that at this point I wouldn't pick them to win the Big 12 tournament. And... They, the inconsistencies on the pitching staff outside of Jerron Watts-Brown, the leader of the rotation, and Isaac Stevens, who's been used a whopping 16 times out of the bullpen in a multi-inning role, closer role. He has the third most innings pitched on the staff behind Watts-Brown and Ben Abram. So outside of Watts-Brown and, and Sidewinder Stevens, they've really gotten... A, a, a stark lack of production and they're really searching for answers and still searching where to plug certain guys in. They've tried, they've tried so much. And I think that of course, in years past, Oklahoma state has always been a very offensive centric team. This lineup is no different and they are arguably as good as any team has been of coach holidays in the past. Carson Benj, redshirt freshman has really emerged and, Star freshman Nolan Schubart has has been one of the best freshmen in the country, maybe even the best if you disclude Ethan Petrie. And then Rock Riggio again, 11 doubles and 10 home runs. They Finding production on offense is not an issue. They'll score with anyone, and they'll score at will, but they can only score so much. I mean, they'll hang seven to nine runs in a game and lose it because they'll give up double digits. So I think... A real problem is their bullpen in particular. Watts Brown is a great anchor to have at the front of your rotation. And then Isaac Stevens, if you can get him the ball with a lead, that lead will probably stay. But but plugging in these guys and finding out where they fit has been a real issue for the Cowboys all season, and it continues to be. So I, I just don't know if they've got the personnel on the pitching staff right now to to, to kind of hang with some of these really, really good teams in the elite of college baseball. So I'm, I'm concerned about them as to how far they could go. And I think that the, the root of the issue is just the lack of the lack of production on the pitching staff. Yeah, it's uh it's definitely become concerning 
they also are one of these teams. I mean, this happens a lot in college baseball, like college sports generally, sports generally, I suppose, go even broader with it. But they're 18 and four at home. They're five and seven away from home, four and five in true road games. Like right now, projecting them as hosts. <sighs> Frankly, I don't know if I should be 32 in RPI. I just still think that the way they close the season in Big 12 play is advantageous. They're already done with Texas, Texas Tech, and TCU, uh, which is beneficial to them. They have West Virginia at home. Like If they can just take care of some of the business against the back end of the Big 12, they will be fine. But what we saw last year is that hosting a regional for them doesn't necessarily, like, that's not enough necessarily. Like, Arkansas came in and, and won that regional, and it was it was crazy. It was the most insane regional of the year of however many years you want to go back. It was probably one of the craziest ones we've seen. But to your point, they got to find the pitching. That was a problem last year in the regional. It'll potentially be a problem again this year. And last night against Oral Roberts, and again, not to discredit the Golden Eagles, they're a they're a good team. Um, but it was a bullpen game for Oklahoma State, and we'll say outside of starter Drew Blake, who I mean, you you have to call him the starter just because he he was named the starter. But he threw two innings. It was a planned bullpen game for them. The bullpen gets seven innings, and they allow eight earned runs, and that was due in large part to. Um, Gabe Davis allowing six earned in less than an inning, but it just kind of goes back to the bullpen faltering and, and, and racking up some of these less than stellar losses for Oklahoma state. And yes, they're the meat of the big 12 schedule is done. And I think that you can take a little bit and not too much of a breather. Maybe they can kind of use these, last few weekends to figure out where guys plug in. I mean, at Kansas, who's all of a sudden playing really good baseball, but then it's at Michigan, East Tennessee state in consecutive series. So I think that they're going to really need to take advantage and figure out who slots in best where, of course, heading into postseason play, which is absolutely crucial. You can't be entering still trying to figure out where guys slot in, in the bullpen, but of course for hosting as well. And right now, like you said, they, they're probably seed 15 or seed 16 right now. They're right on the edge and maybe even outside looking in. So a very crucial few weeks ahead for them. And it starts in, um, in the friendly confines of Obrate stadium. All right. We've mentioned Kansas a couple times. Let's uh, let's dive into the Jayhawks who have won nine of their last 10. They've now won back to back big 12 series for the first time since 2014. Um, the, the first one was Baylor. That one, okay. Baylor Baylor's 12 and 21 this year, and it was at home. Like, uh, okay. Great sweep. They haven't swept a team in the Big 12 in quite some time either. But uh, then they went on the road, to, and they beat West Virginia in the first two games. They won 5-3 to three on Friday night. Um, they win 10-7 to seven the next day to, to claim the series. They scored a bunch of runs late in that one. Uh, West Virginia had gone off to a, a three nothing lead early, uh, and Kansas not not concerned. They they just went to work and uh, they they win that game and they lose the finale twelve to three. And Dan Fitzgerald, the coach, was not happy after that game. I understand it, uh, but still, they they went out. They won a, a road series in the Big Twelve. They won back to back series in the Big Twelve. They 
they are playing very good baseball right now for for Fitz, who's in his first year at, at KU. And uh, this is not something anybody saw coming. It is a completely different roster, frankly, than it was a year ago. A lot of guys transferred, most notably Maui Yahuna going to Tennessee. But uh, he is far from the only transfer out, far from the only good transfer out. In fact, Tavian Josenberger doing very well for Arkansas. Um, but they, they were able to hit the portal, hit the junior college ranks, kind of refresh the roster, and they're playing really well right now. I don't know where this takes them. They did not play very well early in the season. They have a lot of work to do if we to even like start talking about them as a regional team. But the fact that they have, you know, they've won nine of their last 10, uh, they're undefeated at home. That's only eight and no, but they're undefeated at home and they're coming home now for the next couple of weeks. They've got Kansas State this weekend in a rivalry series and then Oklahoma State has to go there uh, the following weekend. So if KU keeps winning games, like we're going to have to keep talking about them in different ways. But right now, I think it's just a really impressive job from a first year coach and, and a team that that is out there fighting and, uh, you know, doing some stuff that the KU hasn't done in quite some time. Yeah, and it's a and it's a super admirable job done. Obviously, you lose Maui Yahuna, you get a new coach. Those are two elements: losing a key player, staff, a lot of roster turnover. Roster turnover. Those are kind of the ingredients that spell for a a really difficult season, no matter what program you're talking about. But especially with Kansas, where they necessarily where they have not necessarily had a super rich baseball history. For them to go out and do what they're doing right now with who they have is mighty impressive. And who knows if they make a regional? They honestly probably won't make a regional. Um, but again, who's to say if they beat Kansas State in the series this weekend, which is another solid Big 12 team, and then somehow beat Oklahoma State, then we might be talking about it. But regardless of where they end up, I think that there's going to be a lot of positives to take away Um from this season for the Jayhawks and hopefully is something that they can build on. And they, as they build some roster continuity, the new staff get gets their guys in there and so on and, and start a, a stretch of what will be a, a few positive years up, up in Lawrence. And I think right now they look to have a really good building block with Cody Shojinaga, um, the freshman from Hawaii sitting 370, four home runs. He's been outstanding. So if you can build around that guy, they'll keep dipping into the portal as they have been, um, and, and there looks to be some exciting times ahead up in Lawrence. Yeah. They're five and four in the big 12 right now. That's their best start, uh, to big 12 play. And in, in maybe that's the one since 2014. I don't know. I got sent a lot of notes about KU and <laughs> they're what, what they've been able to, to do the, the last couple of weeks, five and four is the best start since 2014. That, that is correct. Back to back Big Twelve series, first time since two thousand seventeen. I got my got my years crossed up there, but five and four in the Big Twelve right now. And again, with uh, a rivalry series at home against a K State team that they should be evenly matched against at worst. Uh, you know, a, a real opportunity to uh, you know build some some build on this momentum even more. And you know, I, anything that that this program can do because they've been down in the dumps for a few years now. Uh, anything they can do to build some momentum, I think is, uh, is a really significant deal in Fitz's first season. Uh, before we get out of here, um, I've already been here a while, but before we get out of here, one more in the big 10 last week, Indiana went out 
and beat Iowa. Iowa has now lost back-to-back series to start Big Ten play. Uh, it's a little disconcerting uh, for the Hawkeyes. But Indiana, uh, on the flip side, 7-2 and two atop the Big Ten standings. Uh, they still have to play Maryland. We'll see how that series goes. But it's conceivable that the Hoosiers are the Big Ten favorites at this point. What I can tell you for sure is they're the only Big Ten team that potentially could host. Their RPI is 15. I don't have them as a host yet. They're lacking some high-end wins. But if they rip through the Big Ten, you know, we'll see. They 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 certainly have a shot at it. But this is a team that started the season a little slow. They they played some good competition and didn't win the games. But, you know, they, they went to Auburn. They went to Texas. Tough weekends. But they right now they're playing really good baseball. And they went toe-to-toe on the mound with Iowa, which has the best stuff as a staff in the Big Ten. And Indiana came out on top uh, in the pitching department. Yeah, and and I was super impressed with the Hoosiers. It was, you kind of knew going into the weekend with with opposite Indiana, with Brecht and Marcus Morgan and Ty Langenberg, and even who they have out of the bullpen with like Zach Volker, Kate Obermuller, Will Christopherson. The whole staff has incredible stuff. You knew that the Hoosiers were going to have to bring their A game on the mound. This was not going to be a very offensive centric series by any stretch of the imagination. And they did just that. They, they rose to the occasion, particularly I was really impressed with Luke Sinnard, who I think is going to emerge as behind Brody Brecht and maybe Marcus Morgan. He will be one of the best pitching prospects in the 2024 draft in the big 10. And a potential day one selection. I mean, he's a six, eight guy throws from a near over the top slot fastball velo probably coming, but he's got two breaking balls that flash plus with a sharp two plane slider. And then a curveball that, that has huge 12, six downer movement. So he's an exciting arm that Hoosier team in general is really intriguing with Brock Tibbetts and Bobby Whalen and, and, and personnel like that on offense. And the big 10 race right now is such a cluster with, Indiana, Maryland, and Michigan State, Michigan even, they're all jostling at the top of the conference standings. And the next few weekends, there's just going to be a lot of teams beating up on each other. But I'm particularly excited for down the road when when Indiana and Maryland do meet. Yeah, that's uh, in a couple weeks this weekend, IU is going to Illinois. Not an easy weekend, uh, but one that they uh, certainly are going to feel comfortable with having won their first three Big Ten series. The other stunning development in the Big Ten, I don't know any other way to put this, is that Maryland is in second, or not Maryland, Michigan State is in second place at six and three. Everything that we just said about Kansas, like I have the actual, like I have the numbers about how long it's been since they've done this. Uh, it's It's been quite some time since Michigan State had, had started like this as well. They're coming off of a series win against Ohio State. Last night, they uh, went to Notre Dame and got a nice uh, midweek win. Uh, they're out of conference this weekend against Western Illinois. They better sweep that series if they're even considering being a tournament team, which right now their resume reflects the possibility uh, before a big series uh, in Ann Arbor in a couple weeks. But shouts to Michigan State. Um, they've won their first three Big Ten series. And again, I don't have the numbers. Uh, I should look it up. Uh, but it's uh, it's been quite some time since Michigan State has gotten off to that kind of start in Big Ten play. Alrighty, so that's going to do it for us this week. We got another great weekend of college baseball on tap, so make sure you are following us. Uh, all of the work over at baseballamerica.com. You can follow us on Twitter as well. I am at Ted Cahill. P 
Peter is at Peter G. Flaherty. And we will be back here next week with another edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. So make sure you subscribe to the Baseball America Podcast in your favorite podcasting app, uh, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts, you can find ours. Hit the subscribe or follow button, rate and review. We appreciate all of that. Uh, We'll be back here next week. Until then, for Peter, I'm Teddy. We'll talk to you later. (laughs) 